Right, here is our story this morning. Daniel is now an old man. He's lived through several kings of Babylon, and he's witnessed Persia overtake the Babylonian Empire. Okay, by this point in our story, Daniel has been around a long time. And in that time, Daniel has so distinguished himself as an administrator, as a capable man, that King Darius plans to promote him to be the chief administrator over the entire Babylonian empire. Okay, Daniel will easily be the most powerful Israelite ever. Okay, he will command more men than David or Solomon, even in the heyday of Israel, ever commanded. Okay, this quite naturally upsets the other Persian administrators. And so they decide to do something about the problem of Daniel. They decide that they need to get rid of him. And so the scheme they concoct is they go to King Darius and they tell him he needs to issue a decree that for the next 30 days, anyone caught praying to anything or anyone other than King Darius, that person shall be thrown into the lion's den. Okay, apparently it was quite common in the ancient world for kings to keep a den of lions. It was considered a mark of nobility to have your own private lion den where you could go hunt lions whenever you wanted. You'd release one and go chase it down, and that was a kingly sport, the kind of sport that no mortal man could do, but a king can do. So King Darius has this den of lions waiting nearby. He thinks this is a great plan. Have everybody in the kingdom pray to him for 30 days. So he writes it in an official royal decree, which everybody knows no official law of the Medes and Persians can be changed once it is decreed. Now, Daniel can't do this. He is a pious Jew. He prays three times every day to the one true God of Israel. Okay, and during the exile, what the, the Jews in exile would do is they would pray facing Jerusalem because they remembered when King Solomon long ago built the temple and dedicated the temple, he said, if ever we are thrust away from this land, O God, but your people in piety will pray towards this holy place where you have chosen to make your name dwell, then God, our God, you will remember us and you will restore us. Hey, Daniel remembers that. So he prays every day, three times a day, towards Jerusalem. And King Darius doesn't want to do it, but Daniel is caught and King Darius must abide by the law. And so he declares that Daniel, yes, will be thrown into the den of lions. Notice verse 16. It says, so the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. Okay, a night passes. During the night, the king is extremely upset over the loss of his, his chief administrator, Daniel. So skip to verse 19. It says, At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God. Has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty." King Darius is overjoyed. He has his man. Daniel has not been harmed. So he throws all of Daniel's accusers into the lion's den. They're immediately killed. 
And he issues a new decree that everyone in the land must fear and reverence the God of Israel. Notice verse 26. King Darius says, For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Good story. Amen. We should put that in every children's Bible ever written, I think, right? That's a pretty good tale, right? All right. The first half of the book of Daniel is structured around parallel stories. Okay, for the first several chapters of Daniel, we have stories that all have a corresponding story somewhere else, right? The writing on the wall parallels the story of Nebuchadnezzar going crazy. Okay, the dream of the statues parallels the dream of the beasts. Okay, this story, Daniel in the lion's den, parallels the story we talked about a few weeks ago about the fiery furnace. Okay, you remember when we talked about that story, those of you who were here? Okay, the same principles, all the same applications that we talked about in that story apply to this story. Okay, there is one true king, but it's not the politician in charge. Okay, it may take a while, but God will eventually reward his servants and bring low his enemies. Okay, and of course, the big application that we hit when we studied the fiery furnace is the lesson that God doesn't always rush in and rescue us from the fire, right? Sometimes our story is more like the apostles who were martyred for their faith. Okay, most of us have been through too many hard times to know that God won't always just immediately rescue you, and that's not the point of the story. Okay, in fact, I think it was divinely inspired uh, that my new favorite website, the Babylon Bee, which if you're ever bored and you don't have enough to do, go look at BabylonBee.com. It is great. Okay? Uh, here is the story they had just this last week. All right. And and again, this is satire, right? None of this is actually real. This is kind of like the onion for church things. Okay, but the headline on the story was, Man Mauled by Lions After Daring to Be a Daniel at L.A. Zoo. This is hilarious. Okay, here's the story. It says, Inspired by a recent sermon in which his pastor had challenged the congregation to dare to be a Daniel, local man Philip jumped into the lion exhibit at the Los Angeles Zoo and was immediately mauled by the ferocious beasts. Sources confirmed Monday. I dare to be a Daniel, the man cried, according to witnesses, before leaping into the African lion's enclosure, instantly attracting the attention of a nearby male and female lion. As horrified zoo guests looked on, Philip continued to make bold declarations of victory over the hungry predators as they circled him for several moments before pouncing and making a quick meal of the brave man attempting to follow in the biblical Daniel's footsteps. You should all be laughing by now. This is hilarious, okay? At publishing time, zoo personnel had posted signage reminding guests that daring to be a Daniel is, quote, both suspect exegesis and potentially fatal. Maybe there's something wrong with me. I thought that was hilarious. Okay. All right, again, I think the wrong application from a story like Daniel in the lion's den is that God will always swoop in and save you from every bad thing in your life, if only you have enough faith. 
right? And so what we sometimes do wrongly, I think, is say, well, God didn't rescue me from this trial I'm going through, so maybe that means there's something wrong with my faith, or maybe I don't have enough faith. Maybe if I just trusted more in God, then he would save me from more of the things that I have to go through. And I think that's not the point of the story. In fact, I think Scripture plainly teaches that if you're not suffering for your faith, you're not doing it right. Okay, now, does sometimes God rescue us from suffering? Yes. Okay, does He always? No. Okay, so if that's not the point of the story, right, if I think that that's not the primary lesson that God is teaching us with Daniel in the lion's den, what are we supposed to learn from this story? And to kind of get at this from a little bit different angle, I want to tell you how this story should have been written. Okay, again, in my quest to rewrite Bible stories, all right, let me tell you some alternative ways that this story could have happened. This is also known as what Daniel would have done had I been the one giving Daniel advice. Okay? All right. The bad guys in the story know that Daniel prays regularly. Right? They know this is true. This is part of their whole scheme. So after they get Darius to sign the edict that says on the pain of death, people can only pray to Darius, what Daniel should have done is entered stealth mode. Okay? I don't know about you, but I can pray really quietly. Right? If you have to pray out loud, and if you feel like you have to do it facing towards Jerusalem because that's important, then the best time to say your prayers should be about 3 a.m. in the dark and do it in a whisper. Right? I can pray quietly. Daniel knows he's surrounded by people who don't believe like he does. He knows that he's risking his life. So why not just keep your worship private where it belongs and where it doesn't bother anybody else? Hey, God judges what's on the inside, right? It's your heart that really counts. So bury that religion thing deep and blend in. Okay? Or number two, second thing Daniel should have done is just take a break. Okay, take a month-long break from worshiping. Okay, why risk it? Daniel is being appointed the head satrap of the entire Persian Empire. Do you have any idea how powerful that makes Daniel? Up to this point in history, the Persian Empire is the largest empire the world has ever seen. Daniel will have power that you and I can't even dream about. Think of how much good Daniel can do from that top spot in all of the land. Think about how God has worked out everything in Daniel's life to bring him to this point where he can be in charge of everybody. Think of how God can use Daniel to further the causes of his kingdom if only Daniel will take a break from his worship for just 30 days. Imagine what God can do. Okay. Also, this edict says it's just 30 days. This is only One single month. Surely God will understand. And then after 30 days, you can rededicate yourself to being the man of God. Right? Just take a break. Or here's the third option in our story. My third piece of advice for Daniel. Is be the same hero of the story guy. Right? You can keep being Daniel. You can keep doing all this good God stuff. Just do it without the prayer. Okay, there's nothing in this edict from Darius that prohibits reading Scripture, right? 
I mean, Daniel can still go study his scrolls. He can still read Torah. He can still do all of the other things that he's used to doing as a Jew in exile. Okay, there's nothing in this edict that prohibits Daniel from treating others the way he would want to be treated or from being a good person. Okay, there's nothing in this edict that even violates the Ten Commandments. Okay, Daniel doesn't have to kill anybody. He doesn't have to worship idols. He doesn't have to pray to Darius. He doesn't have to pray at all. Okay? Can't he be the exact same bold man of God, just let his prayer life stay on hold for a measly 30 days? Be the same Daniel as before, just do it without the prayer. All right, I can't speak for anyone else in this room, but I have a very strong feeling that if any of us were in Daniel's shoes, we would have taken one of these three options. Is that fair? We at least would have been real tempted to take one of these three options. Okay, I can keep my, my religion private. Most of you are a lot holier than I am. You would have just boldly gone to the den of lions. Okay. Okay, thank you, Sam. Thank you, Luke. All right, I think that the real challenge of this story is not to believe that God can save you from calamity. Right? I think that most of us know that God has worked wonderful things for us numerous times in our lives. I think most of us know that our God is more than powerful enough to save us. I don't think this is just a story teaching us that God is powerful enough to save us. I think we know that before we ever read this story. Okay, I think the challenging thing in the story of Daniel and the lion's den is that it forces us to acknowledge that we are often living in a fantasy land regarding the nature of our faith. I think most of us walk around as followers of God Almighty with some very clear misconceptions about what it means to be a person of faith. All right, I have three things I want to share with you this morning. If you're taking notes, write these down. Here are three things I think do not exist according to the story of Daniel that we often live as if they do exist. Three things that we just get flat out wrong. Okay, three things that don't exist. All right, and the first one is private worship. Okay. does not exist. The other day, uh, I had Sam, my three-year-old, at my office for a few minutes. Uh, he's always in my office every morning for a few minutes before he goes across to preschool. And in that 20 minutes, it's amazing what a three-year-old can get into, right? So one morning, I'm in the other office talking to Sonia, and Sam is back in my office by himself, and I don't hear anything, which is always something of a bad sign. But then finally, I hear a little voice that says, Dad, I'm not doing anything. Right. Uh, Sam likes to hide. And he thinks he's hiding his true self from me pretty well, but he doesn't realize that at three, everybody can see exactly what he's doing, right? I know better, right? I was born in a hospital, but it wasn't yesterday, right? Uh, another thing he likes to do is if there's like a toy that he wants to take to bed, but I tell him he can't have that toy in bed. Like last night, I told him he couldn't have all of his Legos in bed with him, and he got really upset with me. Okay, and so I put all his Legos over to the side, and then I stand by the door and watch him for a minute to see if he'll stay in his bed. And he looks up at me, makes eye contact, and says, Dad, can you go away, please? Okay, Thinking that if I go away for just a minute, then he can go do what he wants to do, and I'll never know about it, right? He likes to hide. Okay. We often think 
we are better at hiding than we actually are. We think falsely that we can be fully committed Christians on fire for God, but then go about our daily lives, interact with our coworkers, see all of our neighbors, and they don't have to know anything about it because we can hide it. I think one of the biggest lies that Satan is telling right now is the lie that you can be a Christian, just keep all of your beliefs private, keep that Christian thing a secret, go worship your God if you need to, keep it all to yourself, and you can still fit in with the rest of the world. I think Satan is totally fine with us believing in God. He's even fine with us going to church every week, so long as we keep it private in a little personal box and don't let it impact the rest of our lives. We believe the false lie that we can keep our worship private. But I tell you, if you have the kind of faith that can be hidden from Monday to Friday, then you don't have much faith. Now, we are called to be like Jesus. Okay? I want to do my best, though, not to rock the boat as much as possible. I think there's too much conflict in the world right now, and there's too many arguments, too many people on different sides of things, and so a lot of what I try to do is I go throughout life is try to just avoid conflict as much as possible. But then I read the Gospels, and I ask myself, did Jesus rock some boats? Yeah, he did. Did Jesus act in ways that put him at odds with people who held different values than he held? Yeah, he did. Did Jesus minister to the least of these and do so for the sake of the kingdom of God? Did he ever hide who he was and what he was doing? Or was he pretty bold in saying, you know what, I do what I do because I do it for God? Are we called to be like Jesus? Then are we ever afraid to rock boats or are we trying to hide? Now, Jesus didn't go around picking fights. Jesus was humble. Jesus strongly condemned those who did their acts of righteousness for the sake of being seen by others. Okay, I'm not advocating for us to go preach at people on street corners and try to turn every conversation into a Bible study. Okay, you don't have to be the weird guy at the office to be a Christian. Okay, what I'm challenging, though, is the idea that we can cultivate some inner life for God and yet separate that from how we interact with the world around us. Okay, the idea that you can be a stealth believer doesn't fit into Daniel's worldview. Okay, uh, Daniel's not pushing for all the Persians to become Jewish, but he's certainly not hiding his relationship with his God either. Okay, I believe if you have a genuine relationship with God, you won't be able to hide it from people. If you feel that you are successfully hiding your Christianity from people around you, you need to reevaluate what being a Christian means for you. Is that fair? Okay. Number two, second thing that doesn't exist. And that is taking a break from worship. Okay. You know, I remember in fifth grade being very upset with my father because I had grand plans for my life. Right? I was going to grow up and play second base for the Atlanta Braves. Right? I had a plan. Okay? Uh, God didn't give me all this amazing athletic ability just to go to waste. Right? I was going to be second baseman for the Braves. That's what I was going to do. But I got very upset with my father in the fifth grade because I wasn't allowed to play baseball on Wednesday nights. Why could I not go play baseball on Wednesday nights? Because we had church on Wednesday nights, and Dad did his absolute best to drill into me that church always comes first. Okay? Now, do not hear me wrong. This is not some legalistic, if you miss a Wednesday night, you're going to hell kind of sermon. Okay? That's not what I'm doing here. 
Okay? But it would have been the easiest thing in the world for Daniel to justify taking a break from worship. Right? It's only 30 days. Daniel has the opportunity to influence the greatest kingdom on earth from almost the top position if only he will wait a month. Surely the opportunity to be a God person is worth not praying aloud for 30 days. But Daniel doesn't choose that option because Daniel says it doesn't matter what the consequences are. The people of God will always come first. Worship always comes first. Again, I can't tell you exactly what that's going to look like in your life on Monday through Friday, but I am very clear that Scripture teaches that the worship of God always comes first. We don't start with everything else in our life and then say, okay, now how am I going to fit worship into everything else that I'm going to do? We start with what does worshiping God look like, and then we fit our lives into that. If we get that order wrong, then we're not really worshiping God. We're just letting God serve us. Fair enough? All right. Taking a break from worship doesn't exist. All right. Third thing that doesn't exist. And that is bold faith without bold prayer. Okay? Bold faith does not exist without bold prayer. And I think this is why Daniel says he can't take a break from praying to his God. Daniel is a man of faith, and that means he is a man of prayer. I have a friend of mine who is a physical therapist. I had a conversation with him the other day about, you know, what is the, the, the best thing that you can do for yourself? And he says, absolutely, the 100% best thing that you can do is walk for 30 minutes a day. He says, if everybody would just walk for 30 minutes a day, that is the best thing we could all do for our health. Okay, you don't have to have some big elaborate exercise plan. You don't have to do all this other stuff. If you could just do one thing, if you could just walk for 30 minutes a day, everybody would be so much healthier. To which I said, can you not put that in a pill? Right? Okay, why? Because I know what that's supposed to look like, but I don't want to have to actually do it. Okay, the other thing that derailed my plan of playing second baseman for the Atlanta Braves uh, is that I didn't like practicing baseball. I liked playing in games, right? But I didn't like going to practice, right? I just wanted to naturally be this gifted baseball player, but I didn't want to have to practice and work at it. Okay, if you were coaching a team of young boys and they said, okay, we want to be really great at what we do, but we don't want to have to do the work, uh, what would you tell them? Yeah, you would immediately tell them, and then you're not going to be very good at what you're trying to do, right? Okay, I can't tell you how many times I've had people talk to me and say, you know what, I feel like my spiritual life isn't what it ought to be. I feel like I'm not growing closer to God. I feel like I'm not growing spiritually. And I say, well, what does your prayer life look like? What is your daily quiet time that you're committed to? What commitment have you made to having a daily prayer time with God? And they say, well, I don't want to do that. Say, then you're not going to grow spiritually. There's no mat. I can't put that in a pill for you, right? Daniel knew that if he's going to continue to be a bold man of faith for God, it meant an active prayer life. For each and every one of us, if we want to continue growing in our faith, one of the things that that will mean is that we pray, that we pray regularly, and that we pray to God Almighty. All right, at this time, we're going to sing a few verses of an invitation song. 
Uh, during this point of our service, this is the time where we as the church want to be here for you. Uh, during the singing of this song, I will be down front, one of our shepherds will be down front, and we would love the opportunity to talk with you about whatever's going on in your life. Uh, whether you're struggling in your faith or whether there's um, something special that you need us to pray for you about, whatever we can do for you, we as the church want to be here for you. Before we sing that song, though, I'd like to close us with a word of blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and give you peace.